way. So um, as I was preparing and spending time with the Lord, you know, I'm, I'm typically um, that inspirational, motivational, jumping off the stage. And God said, I, I, we're going to go line by line and precept by precept tonight. And I said, oh boy, okay. So I began to explore what the Lord's going to show us tonight. And there's so much in what we're going to look at tonight that I wanted to provide you with the notes. And so we're going to just come into the classroom tonight. Come into the FCC classroom tonight. We're going to walk this out together. How about that? We'll walk it out together. So the ushers are making their way through the aisles right now. I want to make sure everybody, there's 200 copies, so hopefully there's enough. Make sure everybody has a copy of the notes, and we're going to go through this. Now, as we look at this picture tonight, we're going to take a snapshot. If you don't have a copy, go ahead and just raise your hand. Our ushers will make their way over to you. But we're going to take a snapshot and really look at a synopsis, and then you can take these notes home. You know, one of the things that we always learned, can we make sure Miss Anita gets one up here in the front? One of the things that we always learned sitting in church is that you can't just take whatever the preacher says. You got to go home, and you got to study it out for yourself. Isn't that right? That's right. So we can't just take what's said, and we have to go home, and we have to study it out. But tonight, we're going to break this down a little bit. Before we do, I would like you now, if everyone has a paper, I'd like you now to just grab your Bibles and hold them high. We're going to make a declaration of our faith together and just trust the Lord for what he wants to do. I'm using a paper Bible tonight. If you have your tablet and your phone, that is A-OK by me. There's no criticism, no judgment here. I just like the way the paper feels. So, so here we go. Let's make this declaration. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for this word. It is the absolute truth. And I believe it. It is your personal love letter to me, and I receive it. It's the answer to my questions and the answer to the world's issues. Lord, tonight, my ears are ready to hear your word. My heart is ready to receive your word. And I, by faith, am ready to be a doer of the word. No matter what comes my way. Now let me pray. Father, as we approach your word tonight, we know that you're here. You're with us. As we sang, you're the God of miracles. And Father, you're not just the God of the physical miracles of our body, but you're the God that moves everything in the spirit. You're the God that moves everything in our emotions. You're the God who gives us a sound mind. And so whatever it is that we need tonight, Father, in our relationships that may be struggling, whether with a husband and wife or whether with father and son or mother and child, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father, that as we study out your word tonight and look through your word on surrender, that you will provide us by your word with everything we need to have every answer met in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to do an overview of seven chapters of the book of Genesis, and we're going to look at one individual tonight. Now, I studied criminal justice in college, and so one of the things that we often did in college was we did case studies. You would take a look at the particular cases that go through, and you would build uh, what you need for your information off of that. So we're going to do a little snapshot case study on this guy by the name of Jacob. But for those of you who may be joining us tonight who don't know who Jacob is, Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham. 
Abraham. Abraham is the man with whom God established his covenant here on earth. There was this moon worshiper. His name was Abram. And so God reached out and said, you, Abram, are the man that I'm going to fill through your seed. I'm going to fill the earth. And of course, God was prophesying of himself that he would provide the promised Messiah through the seed of Abraham. And as you look through the book of Galatians and Romans and Hebrews, it says not to the seeds as in many, but to the seed. That's referring to Jesus. And so Jesus was the promised one. But you know what? Jesus was the promised one, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, they had to be faithful with what the Lord had given them in order for us to have that promised Messiah to come. And so God tested Abraham's faithfulness. We know he had to lay down his Isaac. Now, God had appeared to each and every one of them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God had confirmed his covenant. He says, as I was with your father, I will be with you. I am the God of your father, and I will be a God to you, and your people will be my people. So God establishes his covenant, and it's really important to understand that, and our pastor had does, has done an excellent job, uh, really, really breaking down of what covenant means. But covenant is an established relationship. You cannot pull it apart except through death. It never changes. And so we need to get into our minds tonight that this man we're going to take a snapshot of named Jacob is a covenant person with God. He is under God's covenant. And if you are under God's covenant, you have all of his provisions and all of his blessings. And yet Jacob is this man that we read about who had to wrestle with God. And that is because Jacob got out from under God's purpose for a little while because he was walking out his own purpose for his life. And as we look at this title, Surrender, we're going to see at the end of Jacob's uh, journey here, what we're going to study tonight, that each and every one of us has this place where we have to come to the end of who we think we are so that we can begin to know who God says we are. We need to come to the end of who we think we are so we can begin to know who God says we are. Because I know who I think I am. I know what the enemy has told me. But what God says matters because his word is forever settled in heaven. So if God says you're a child of God, you are a child of God. And if you're a child, you have that covenant blessing and provision and protection with you, just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But see, Jacob really needed a name change because Jacob's life didn't start out so well. And I want to take you over here to Jacob, uh, to Jacob, to the book of Genesis chapter 25. And we are literally going to look at a few passages within seven different, seven consecutive scriptures. We're going to do some Bible study tonight. So, Hope you brought your Bibles with you. (laughs) We're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 25. Everyone say names. You know, a great name is to be chosen rather than great riches, the proverb says. It is better to have a great name than it is to have great riches. And I just want to throw a disclaimer out there. Maybe, you know, my, my parents, they heard from the Lord. They followed Jesus, so they heard from the Lord about how to name each and every one of their children. And we can see in our own lives, Kevin, Kurt, and Crystal, I can look back and say, wow, God, you have affirmed my name that you have given me. You have re- That is who I am. There's no doubt about it. But if your parents named you something and you go and look it up, it is not the greatest thing in the world, 
don't worry about it, okay? It's not like that name is who your identity is because you have a new name if you're a follower of Christ. And that's the name that we're all going to adhere to, not just our individual name. So yes, if God spoke to your parents and they named you what he told you, what he told them to name you, then hey, that's part of your call. That's part of your identity. But if you go and look up your name and you're like, man, that is terrible. And the Bible is full of examples who parents were mad at their kids or mad at someone and they named their kids this terrible name. And God says, well, I'm not going to call you that anymore. And that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight. Jacob is a perfect example. Let's go to Genesis chapter 25. Let's start off in verse 21. Now, Isaac, who is the son of Abraham, pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And all that means is that she was unable to have children. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Verse 24. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over. So they called him Esau. Now here's a perfect opportunity to stop and say, what does Esau mean? It means hairy. So if you got the name Edom or Esau, just know that it, it, you don't have to go by that name. They named them what they saw. And isn't that just like our world? Isn't that just like the enemy? Call it like they see it. Okay, we tend to call what we see, but God calls those things that be not as though they were. And so that's why we need to adopt that understanding that we have a new name in Christ Jesus. Okay, so no matter what your name is, this boy's just called Harry. Okay, he's a hairy boy. It doesn't get much better than this. Let's keep going. Verse 25. And when the first came out, okay, verse 26. After his brother came out and he took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she was born to them. So Jacob just means supplanter or better known as deceiver. Now, I struggled with this for a while because if you go back up to verse 23, God is declaring that the younger is going to rule over the older. And I said, well, God, why would you do that? You know, and God is not necessarily declaring a negative thing here. He's really just calling out what's going to happen based on their personality. But God will work it for his good in the end. And that's what we're going to see tonight. But a great name is really important. And it's important to understand that when you come into the family of God, hey, guess what? It doesn't matter what you have been called. And this is really, to, this is really important to understand because in our world, we all have labels. We have things that have attached themselves to us over the years. Oh, you belong in this type of classroom from the child, from childhood. Oh, you're this type of person. I mean, the only discrimination I have experienced in my life is the fact that I'm left-handed. And if anybody's left-handed out there, you know, we got some discrimination going on. When I was a kid, you had two tins. You had the scissors and the red tin, and those were for the right-handed people because that's the right way to cut. Then you had this special scissor tin over here because there shouldn't be left-handed, so you're going to have those type of things. And everything in our world is made for right-handed people. This is a discrimination of the greatest degree, and I don't understand it. But see, Disney has caught on, and they actually have a shop down in Orlando for left-handed people. And so you can get down there, left-handed people, and you can feel vindicated, and you can feel validated. 
Uh, the left-handed, yeah, all those great things for left-handed people. I have no idea what that does to our message. I don't even know where that came from, but it just seemed really good for the point. We're talking about a name, and that name needs to be changed. And when we come into the family of God, labels, thank you, Lord, we have all these labels that are attached to us, and those labels create mentalities, they create pictures, and those pictures begin to develop attitudes. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. And so we come to God like Isaiah, I am filthy rags in your presence. Well, okay, you may feel like that, but guess what? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. And so the moment you say, I'm ready, I'll surrender, I'll become a follower of Christ, Jesus puts this white, white garment robe around you and you are no longer who you think you were. You are not that person. And this is so important. You say, that's fundamental, Pastor Kurt. It is, but we're not living like it. It's fundamental. I'm a new creature. Oh, I'm, I'm still a sinner. No, you're not. You have been saved by grace through faith, and it is a gift of God, not of yourself or works, lest any should boast. You have been made new in Christ Jesus. And so we have got to adopt that mentality. I don't care. God doesn't care what label has been put on you in this life because God calls you who he calls you, and that is the only thing that matters. That's all that matters. So regardless of what label you have come in with tonight, you need to know, check yourself. Ask one question. Am I a follower of Jesus? Am I a child of God? Then I've got his name. Then I've got his mark. And I'm walking in my promise, my provision, and my blessing. Do I see it all right now? No, but this is who I am. I am not that person. But see, We can't do that until we come to that place of surrender. And that place of surrender can only come when we're willing to let go of who we think we are, wrestle that out with God, as we're going to see with Jacob tonight, and submit to who he says we are. This is where surrender is the pathway to our true identity. That is where we're going to win. So let's take a look. Let's go on a little further here. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to go down to verse 27. Everyone say love. Love. See, when you don't read the Bible line by line, sometimes you miss the little things. And you know what? It's the little things that will transform your life. A lot of times we have all these principles. Oh, I have this struggle in my life. I'm going to go look up some scriptures on this. If you read the Bible line by line, God can answer so many of the issues that you have in your life. And so we're taking a look at a few right here in verse 27. So the boys, that's referring to Jacob and Esau. Uh, grew and Esau was skillful, was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Now you have to do some Hebrew research. That word mild does not mean soft. It actually just means steady. It means stable. I don't really understand why they're making that distinction between Jacob and Esau, but it's not, it's not a, 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 degrade, a degradation to, to Jacob here. Verse 28. This is what we want to talk about. And Isaac, who's the father, Isaac, who's the father of both twins, loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. See, love is the principal thing for everybody's life. If a child is not raised in a loving environment, he or she will not be able to be unless God intervenes, God transforms that successful person that he has called us to be. And so love is that principal thing that has to be there from the beginning. But from these boys' childhood, listen, just because you're reading about people in the Bible doesn't mean they did it all perfect. And that's really one of the reasons that we can relate to. Hey, God, you use totally imperfect and messed up people. Thank the Lord you can use me, okay? And so 
Isaac and, Je- and Rebecca, they're not perfect. And in fact, what they're modeling for their children is a divided love, and it's going to cost Jacob in the future. Esau and Jacob, regardless of who they were, should have been loved equally by both parents. Both parents should have loved both children equally. And you will see tonight how detrimental that is because they modeled a divided love for their children. My mom always taught me that hurting people hurt people. But guess what? Whole people heal people. Did you get that? Hurting people hurt people. And so when you have that wound, these boys are growing up with a wound because this one only has the daddy's love. And guess what? In the perfect family, we know not everything's ideal, but in God's perfect economy, he designed, he designed a father and a mother, one man and one woman to come together. And from that union in that loving environment, that wholesome environment to produce children who were loved equally, not based on what they could do for the family, but based on who they were simply because they're a child. They're loved. See, that's God's picture. And maybe, maybe, maybe not everyone got that in their family, but that's okay. You're in the family of God now. And you need to understand when you come into the family of God, that's how God operates with you. That's how God loves you. You might have experienced a divided love. You might have grown up in a household where you were the favorite or you weren't the favorite. And so based on where you were, you have these despairing uh, feelings and issues and all those become wounds that if we're not dealt with, we carry throughout our life and we take those hurt and we bring them on to other people. See, we, all, we always teach our young people, you know, God doesn't take 50% of this person and bring it together with 50%, takes a half a heart and a half a heart. No, God takes two whole hearts, right? When God does it, in God's economy, in God's marriage, he doesn't take 50% of this person and 50% of this person, he takes a whole heart and another whole heart. And guess what? He makes a new heart because he said the two shall become one. So there is a new kindred heart that is knit there. And that is the love, that pure, undefiled love. Now, Josh McDowell has done a great job. He has gone through, if you take a look at your notes here, on number five, the lack of love, the lack of equal love shown from Rebecca and Isaac to both their boys has actually caused a division between the boys. And if you read on here in verse 29, Esau comes home from this hunt. He's really worked all day long. He's had this great hunt and he's starving. But his brother is so deceptive. Remember, his name is Deceiver. His name is Supplanter. So he comes home and he begs his brother who's making this awesome stew, making this great food. And you know how kids are, right? And they might be just be boys, like 16, 18 years old. And he's like, okay, I'll give you some stew, but you got to sell me your birthright. You got to give me what's rightfully yours. Now that doesn't totally make a, a real picture to us here in 21st century American culture, but this birthright was really an esteemed thing. If you were the first child, you had a double portion of the blessing and you had the blessing from your father. And that was a really, really critical thing for this time. So Jacob is deceiving his brother. He's taking advantage of his brother who's in a weakened state. And again, that's because of the lack of love shown by his parents. If he truly knew that love always serves, he would have faithfully served his brother in his weakness. But without that proper love, he took advantage of his brother. He sells off, Esau sells off his birthright. And there's this constant division between these boys. Now we go to number five. Josh McDowell has really done a great job. I got a hold of this about seven years ago. He's done a great job of mapping out what he calls seven 
A's of a loving family relationship. And you know what, guys? Regardless of where you came from, you can start right now. Regardless of what's going on in your house, you could start right now. We have the power to start right now. It could transform tonight if we make that decision. But Josh McDowell, and the, the, the footnote here, you can look this up later, but he talks about the seven A's, affirmation, acceptance, appreciation, affection, ability, availability, approach, and accountability. And he goes through all these different things, and he talks about how necessary they are for the rearing of a child. Those seven areas have to be there for that proper development of the child to be successful. And you can take a look at those later on. But I want to move over to Genesis chapter 27 right now. And I want to talk about the blessing because maybe we don't have the blessing like they do in the Eastern culture, here in Western culture. Maybe we don't have the blessing like they do in the old days, but there is a blessing that every father and mother must pass on to their children. It is, it is part of what we do. We must pass that blessing on. And see, when we have that love for our children, we show them that they're accepted no matter what. Do we accept their sin? No, but we still love them. And that's what God does. He he loves us through that. God has a way of bringing us all the way through the journey, even when we think we're lost, to the place where we're right where he wanted us from the beginning. Amen. We always tell the young people, God doesn't have an A plan for your life, and if you miss it, now you're on C and D the rest of your life. Absolutely not. God has a way, Proverbs tells us, of making the crooked path straight. So you got off this way. You're not done. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. Guess what? Submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. He will make that crooked path straight. That's what he does. He's perfect at it. So this blessing, every child wants the blessing of his or her parents. Genesis chapter 27, let's go to 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass. Now again, you've got to keep in this mind, this synopsis, this picture. You've got two brothers who are at odds with each other, okay? Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old, so old that his eyes were dim that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said, my son. He said, here I am. He said, behold, now I am old, and I excuse me, do not know the day of my death. Now therefore... Please take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, go out of the field and hunt some game for me and make me some of that tasty food that I love. You know that I love it and bring it to me and may I eat it and my soul may bless you before I die. This is the practice. When you read through the Old Testament, the fathers, before they pass on, they would lay their hands on their sons and they would pass on that blessing to them. And I'm telling you, there was, you read your scripture, there was a reserved blessing for that firstborn. Now, even though Esau sold his birthright to his brother, he still has a chance with his dad to receive that blessing. And so Esau is hungry, hungry for this blessing from his father. As you read down, you discover that Rebecca overhears. And again, Rebecca is divided. This is why it's so important for parents to be united in their approach towards their children. And the enemy would love to sow seeds of division in your relationship so that you think the way that the other person parents is totally contrary or the proper way to parent. And you know what? It's not just about parenting. It works in every relationship of our life. The enemy is working to sow seeds of division and that's why we must be unified as a couple, as friends, as the body of Christ in the way that we raise our children, in the way that we do our business. But the children are craving this blessing. And Jacob steals the blessing from his brother. His last opportunity, he steals the blessing from his brother because his mother whispered in his ear. 
Jacob is continuing to follow out this area of being a deceiver. Now what happens is Esau becomes livid, absolutely upset. And he says, that's it. I've had it. I'm going to kill my brother. And you know what? Sometimes we get to this place in our life where we have this sin that we don't know what to do with. We feel like we've come to this place where we've got this sin. We can't get rid of it. And that's kind of what's going on with Jacob here. All he has known in his life is how to be a deceiver. All he has known in his life is how to supplant. And now he says, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And his mom whispers in his ear again, your brother's about to kill you. Run to my brother Laban and go to him. And you know what? When our sin brings us to that place, we're in that place of fear. And fear causes us to run away. It causes us to run away. What happened in the garden? God said, Adam, where are you after the aid of the fruit? He said, I heard your voice and I hid. That sin comes in and its instinctive reaction is our covering is gone. I need to run away. And so Jacob begins to run away. But there's some problems here because when you run away and you're looking to hide, your sin will find you out, the Bible says. Okay, so let me give you this example. One of my kids, uh, it was really, really late at night and we're driving in the car and, uh, you know, they're just all at each other's throats and we're praying and we're working and we're trying to make it happen. We're driving, trying to keep everything safe. You know how it is? Van full of kids. You know how it is? Okay. Car full of people. It's like everyone's tired. Everyone's worn out. And just one of the children was like, man, they just totally needed some good old-fashioned discipline, if you know what I mean, you know, some good old-fashioned discipline. And I said, I will deal with you when we get home because it's too late. And then the hour got even later, and I said, I will deal with you tomorrow. Well, you know what happened tomorrow morning? This child was nowhere to be found because they had run away, because they know what's coming. But see, what, what if Adam had not run from God in the garden? I always get stuck and ponder. What would happen if he didn't run from God in the garden? What if he ran to God? He said, God, I, I totally messed up. I did everything you said not to do. What would God's response have been? Would it have been different? I don't know. But I do wonder that. And our sin puts this fear because we're uncovered and we want to run away. But when we run away, we cause ourselves all sorts of problems. The first thing that happens when we run away is because we're out from under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we put ourselves subject to some other lordship. See, when we can't deal with our pain, we begin to submit to other things that help us avoid our pain. We're running. Some people will run to work. Some people will want run to relationships. Some people will run to substances. And they don't know they're running. But they can't deal with the pain. We can't deal with the pain of who we are. So many Christians are stuck, not able to deal with the pain of who they are. And I've got to tell you, church, there's a great deception going on right now. And you say, I know in the world, Pastor Kurt. No, I'm telling you, there is a great deception among Christians right now who are being lulled by the enemy. And we don't even realize we're being lulled by the enemy. And we need to wake up up and we need to deal with our issue and we need to deal with our attitude and then our behavior will change and what happens is Jacob runs from his brother because his brother wants to kill him but he goes to his his uncle Laban and begins to submit himself to Laban and you say well that's not really a big deal but he keeps himself in bondage because he won't deal with who he is or who he thinks he is Genesis chapter 29, let's go to verse 15. I told you we're going to walk out some scripture here tonight. 
So Jacob books it. He runs, he runs, he just runs and runs and runs. And then he runs into this beautiful girl. And he's like, oh man, yeah, gotta have that. I need to be with her. She is everything I've ever wanted. She's all, she's all I'll ever need. He's singing to her. He sees this beautiful woman. And so he discovers that this is actually the daughter. What a great coincidence of the Lord. This is actually the daughter of my uncle. And so he meets his uncle here in Genesis chapter 29, verse 15. And Laban, the uncle said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, take careful note of that word serve. Now at the beginning, who did I tell you Jacob was? He was a covenant person of God. He doesn't need to serve anybody. Okay, this is what's so important. This is what our sin will do if we refuse to surrender to who we think we are and if we refuse to surrender of who we think we are to who God says we are. We put ourselves under bondage because we don't know who we are. We think we're someone else. And Jacob is running from his true identity. He's a covenant person of God. God has already revealed to him, I am the God of your father and I will be with you. But he's running. He's running. And in verse 15, we begin to see that he's putting himself under the submission of his uncle Laban. Should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should be your wages. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate. I have absolutely no idea what in the world that means. I have looked. I don't understand it. I don't know if she had droopy eyes. I don't know if she was hard on the eyes. Whatever it was, She wasn't totally desirable, all right? I don't know. But Rachel, well, Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. She's the winner. She's the golden ticket, man. This is where he wants to be. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. So stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days. All all of us love struck birds. You know what that's like. Just falling in love. And it doesn't seem like, oh, I'm just, she's everything or he's everything. Do women feel the same way that guys do? Man, guys are head over heels. Do women get that way? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Uh, in the beginning. Yeah, I did. I used to. Started living with him. Boy. Oh, I know. We don't deserve you, women. I know. I know. And it seemed like nothing to him because he had such love for her. One of the things that I want to note here, that if you read on further... You see, when we run from God, there are only two kingdoms in this world and in the spiritual world. There's God's kingdom and there's the devil's kingdom. And so when you run from God, you're not in his kingdom, not by his choice, but by your choice. He will never leave you nor forsake you. But you're choosing, you and I choose to be rebellious. And guess what? We're out from under his covering and therefore we're in the enemy's territory. And when you read about Laban, Laban wasn't like his sister, Rebecca. He wasn't a godly man. He worshiped idols. He had idols in his house. So Jacob has continued to submit himself under somebody who is not even following God. And when you get, and when we get into that place of sin and we start running because we're afraid, we put ourselves under another spirit and we allow that to influence us. And we don't even realize we're clouded. And if you chronicle the life of Jacob, he begins to become cloudy. He's love struck. And so he's serving these seven years thinking he's doing the right thing and guess what happens his sin finds him out and as it does that bondage leads to reaping what he has sown 
See, fear drives us from God because of the sin. But what if we just stop at the sin and run to God? Sin drives us from God because we're afraid. And the fear leads us to bondage. It causes us to submit ourselves unto another Lord, unto another master. And that bondage, in that bondage, we will reap what we have sown. And this is exactly what happens here. Now Jacob begins to reap what he has sown. He is now being deceived. You know the story, hopefully, if you have read through it. But he wants to marry Rachel. And, you know, he ends up getting tricked. And he gets the droopy-eyed girl. And that's what he starts with. You say, how could that have happened at the wedding ceremony? Well, in those times, if you read the scripture carefully, the, the marriage wasn't a legitimate marriage by ceremony. It was a legitimate marriage by consummation, okay? So the act of marriage was when they knew that they were married. So somehow in the dark, you know, they don't have streetlights in the dark. They snuck Leah in there and bada bing, bada boom, they're married. That's the way it is. But he, he's so upset because he's been deceived because he really wanted Rachel. And so what happens? He puts himself back under he, he's just refusing to deal with this idea of who he thinks he is. So you know what? He's just going to keep digging. Man, don't we do that. We just get down deep. We're just going to keep digging this whole thinking that we're going to dig through the other side. You know, as kids, we're going to dig down to China or whatever is what we always said. I don't know. You just got to keep digging, keep digging, keep digging and hope you get there. Well, you're not. You're not spiritually or physically. And so Jacob just keeps digging. He keeps reaping what he's sowing. And I want to I point out something very specific here. And I want you to go to 29, chapter 29, verse 30, because this, this occurred to me. So let's walk through this, this, this out. So Jacob gets deceived. He ends up marrying Leah, and he's really mad. So he says, Laban, you tricked me. He said, well, I can't give you my youngest daughter without marrying the first daughter. That's not right. Culture was different back then. So he says, okay, well, you got to commit to me to work another seven years. This dude is now giving up 14 years of his life. And where he was once love struck, now he's mad. But he refuses to get back under the covering to actually acknowledge who he is. So what does he do? Submits himself to more bondage. Okay, Laban, I'll work for you so that I can have Rachel. Here's one thing I want to point out to you. Verse 30. Jacob also went into Rachel. That's the consummation of marriage. And he also loved Rachel more than, everyone say more than, Leah. Now, that's an important distinction because there's a lot of talk about generational curses. Generational curses, guess what? They're as big as we make them. If we would just deal with it, it'll be over. There's a generational curse that's, that's, that's going on here. Remember at the beginning, remember the type of love that was modeled to Jacob? It was a divided love. It was a divided love. Think about that. Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. So his model for love is a divided love. See, he didn't have to hate Leah. He, she was his wife. He didn't have to hate her. But because of his understanding of love, he chose to love Rachel more. He could have opened up his heart in surrender to the Lord to love Leah the same way that he loved Rachel. But he didn't. And that's because his model of love was a divided love. And parents and people, you know, anybody in this room knows, nobody has done it right. And how we have experienced love has caused us to love without Christ sometimes, in very wrong ways. In this generational curse, here's what I want to share with you tonight. Generational curses come from unresolved issues, not willing to deal with the pain that is there. 
Okay? See, the, the scripture will discover our location. The scripture will discover where we are. It'll reveal to us where we are. And when we read something and God says, that's you, that you need to deal with that. We can't cover up that pain. We have to deal with that pain. Generational curses come from unresolved issues and modeled behavior and attitudes. Here's the thing. Look at that point I. If we just deal with the issue, we will correct the attitude. If we correct the attitude, we will eliminate the behavior. Now, now this is just a simple process, and we're going to have to take time to think about this at night and throughout the week. But if we're dealing, if you take a look at your life, take inventory. What are the areas you just can't win in? What are the major struggles that you've had? They've always followed you. You're still a follower of Christ, but they've just always seemed to be behind you. They always seem to be right there, no matter what you do. It's right there. It's right there. It's probably a result of an unresolved issue. And guess what? You don't need to go to 60 hours of counseling. You don't need to go to six weeks of counseling. Some of us do, but the scripture can locate you where you are. And if you are willing just to say, okay, I've been covering up this wound for a long time. It's completely infected. Lord, I'm ready for you to lance it, squeeze out all the pus, and make me whole again. If we will begin to submit to the Lord, deal with the issue, we'll correct the attitude. If we correct the attitude, the behavior will be eliminated. We work so hard to eliminate the behavior, but so many attitudes haven't changed. We've got new behavior with the same attitude. And what is that? It's called insanity. Doing the same thing, expecting different results. It's never going to work. Never going to work. So there's a couple more things that I want to share here, but for the sake of time, you can take a look through these notes. Now, Jacob, uh, Laban begins to be super blessed because Jacob, remember, Jacob is a covenant person. So all the blessing is with Jacob. And Laban is now saying, hey, man, Jacob, when you're around, man, I got the best cattle. I got the best sheep. Everything's going well. And Jacob's beginning to come to the end of himself. And he's saying, you know what? God, this isn't your best for me. This, this isn't your best for me. And Laban's beginning to say, you know, don't, don't go from me. Stay here because I'm so blessed by you. I don't want you to leave. And you know what, folks? It is important to know when your time is up. It is important to know because your master, whatever you have submitted yourself to, will reap the blessing that belongs to you. I am telling you, whatever we have submitted ourselves to, if it's not the Lord, that master over us will reap the blessing from us because you will prosper. Even in that area, God will prosper you because you're his covenant person. And so whether it's that job or wherever it may be, you need to know when your time was up. I remember a very particular area in a time in my life when I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I needed to step away from something, but it it wasn't sin. It wasn't like really, really bad. I just knew in my spirit, my time is done and I need to step away. But everything on the peripheral said, no, you you can't do that. No, 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 no. You're a blessing. We need you. You're being blessed by this. That that's not love. That's manipulation. See, I'm drawing from your blessing. That master will draw from your blessing. And I can't tell you what that master is in your life. If there is any, only you can determine that with God. But we need to know when our time was up. And I said, wait a minute. Now we get down to one of the final points. I'm fed up. Now I'm fed up because I realize I'm a covenant person of God. And God hasn't called me to be under this oppressive bondage. But see, God will wait. 
He'll wait. (laughs) He loves us so much. He won't remove himself from us, but he'll just wait till we get wise enough to say, okay, God, I'm just really, really ready. I am ready. I'm ready to come. Can you just work this thing out? And that's that beginning. That's that beginning of surrender. And so we see here, I'll show you a couple more scriptures. Genesis chapter 31. And again, I told you, there's a lot here tonight. We actually could take week upon week and break all this down. That's why I want to give you the notes. So if you so desire, you can go home and begin to process this. But in Genesis chapter 31 and verse 6, Jacob is coming to the end of himself and realizing how fed up he is. Verse 6, and you know, he's talking to his wife, Rachel. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and he and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. Folks, man, we need to take a snapshot of that right there. Because guess what? God knows we're brainless sometimes and we make stupid decisions and we submit ourselves to things we shouldn't submit ourselves to, but we're still protected by God because God will wait for us to get wise enough to say, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready. And Jacob is now beginning. He's beginning to come to the end of himself. And in verse eight, he said, thus the speckled sheep shall be your wages and all the flocks of the speckled. And if you do this, the streak shall be your wages and the flocks. So God God, verse 9, has taken away the livestock of your father, and he has given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks were conceived that I lifted my eyes and I saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped up on the flocks were streaked and speckled and gray spotted. Now, that's a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't mean anything to anybody right now unless you have read this. So go home and read it and find out what he's talking about. But in verse 12, the angel says, lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap and the flocks which are streaked. Okay, go down to verse 13. I am the God of Bethel, where you have anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, go out of this land and return and return and return to the land of your family. I don't know about you, but I've been in that place in my life where I was running. I was running. And you know what? You don't have to be an unbeliever to run. So many Christians are running from God. Instead of running to the, to him, whether it's a sin, whether it's an issue, something that we can't resolve. And instead of running to him, the only one who can heal, the only one who can deliver, the only one who can fix. But we have to get to that place where like Jacob, we are fed up and we begin to recount all the things that we have done. And we realize that because we're covenant children of God, we deserve more. But guess what? This is only the beginning of surrender. It's only the beginning. Where I want to take you tonight, as we begin to close, and I am pulling a real preacher on you, beginning to close. I've still got a couple things to share with you. But as we begin, as we begin to come to the end of ourselves, we have left a wake of destruction behind us. Truth be told, if we think about the beginning of surrender, we've left a serious wake behind us that has hurt a lot of people. Why? Because hurting people hurt people. And so part of what Jacob actually has to do before he can really come to God is he has to seek forgiveness from those who he has hurt. And the greatest one that Jacob has hurt is his beloved brother Esau. And you can read the account of it. Jacob is really repentive at this point. He recognizes that in order to get right with God, he needs to first put himself right with his brother. And you know that scriptural, even New Testament You know, Jesus said in the book of Matthew, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, you should go and be reconciled first to your brother and then come back and worship the Lord. This is still New Testament here. See, when we have run away from God, that hurt 
that we carry has caused a wake of destruction behind us. And so I know in my own journey and still in my journey today that there are people that God will bring back to my remembrance. And I even talked to Pastor John. He had one man after like 30 years. God said, now it's time to call that man. Wow. Imagine that. But this is just the beginning of surrender. Once we're willing to get fed up, we then need to realize those we've wounded and we need to go and make it right with them. And now we're really ready to surrender. Because this final place that we see here with Jacob, as we do close tonight, is Jacob wrestles with God. To me, this is one of the most fascinating scriptures in the entire Bible. Absolutely fascinating. Let's go there. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. Jacob is beginning to make it right with his brother. Now, this hasn't fully come to fruition yet, but Jacob says, okay. Oh, we're going to read it here. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. If you're there, just say, I got it. And Jacob arose that night and he took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons. Now I should tell you what happened in chapter 31 is that Jacob sends some some ambassadors to his brother Esau to say, go and tell my brother I'm coming. And the ambassadors come back and say, hey, your brother Esau is coming. But guess what? He's got 400 men. So Jacob says, oh my goodness, this dude's going to kill me because Esau swore to his own life that he would kill his brother. Because he stole from him that blessing and that birthright. So Jacob's now freaking out. And so Jacob begins to send these provisions ahead of him. I'm going to send this gift and maybe this gift will appease my brother and he won't want to kill me. Don't we do that? Okay. I remember when I totally messed up as a young man. Um, I I think, you know, I I came home um, completely drunk and my dad knew it and I thought I was covering it up and he, he totally knew it. He told me years later, he's like, I absolutely knew that you were completely drunk. I don't know what was wrong with you. I don't know why you thought you'd get away with that. But when it dawned on me, I realized, and this was the beginning of my surrender. I come to the end and realize, you know what? All I'm doing is hurting people. But before I can make it right with my parents, I remember what I did. I went and spent nearly $100 at Olive Garden because my parents loved it. And I brought home an appeasement that next day of Olive Garden, and I set it before them so that they could eat and enjoy it, and then I could begin my repentance. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember that? And then I could begin my repentance. But I had to send that gift before me. Why? Because it was hopefully going to lighten the blow that I was about to receive. (laughs) But like God, my father was so gracious. That's a story for another day. Jacob comes to this place now in verse 23. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent them over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. Everyone say alone. Alone. Now you're ready to surrender. So many times we're drawing from every other source. We're drawing from every other source, hoping that we can grasp at that last straw to help us. But it's when we find ourselves alone that now we're ready to surrender. He took them, sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, you have to do some background research here. That word man in the New King James is capitalized, not likely in the King James, but capitalized, because this is one of those, uh, scholars believe this is one of those early appearances of the Son of God. That this would be the angel of the Lord, or the angel of God, the Son of God. And now when he saw that he did, now watch this, verse 25 When the angel or the man saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched his socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. There's so much significance there. 
Because the beginning of surrender, what do we say in the, in the beginning? Surrender is us being willing to let go of who we think we are to accept who God says we are. That is true surrender. Jacob has to let go of his might and his strength and his ability to rely on his deceptive power that he has used over the years. Verse 26, and the angel said to him, or he said to him, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, man, this is so powerful now because you come to that place where you say, I'm ready to surrender. But guess what, God? I'm not letting go of you until I really know that you're going to bless me, until I really know that I'm going to have it with you and you're going to be there for me. And this is what begins to happen. So he said to him, what is your name? Oh, God, thank you so much. What is your name? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Tell me if you know. Who do you think you are? And so he says, Jacob, which means prince with God. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. You have struggled and wrestled with God and with man, and you have prevailed. There's so much chalk in that, we don't even have time to get to it tonight. But to realize that place of surrender really is that place where we're willing to let go of who we think we are and accept who God says we are. And I go back to what I said at the beginning of the night. You might be here and you're walking in with labels. You're still a follower of Christ. You're still a son of God. You're still a daughter of God. But you have these labels that you have accepted over the years. God says, who do you think you are? Come and bring that to me and I will rename you. I will give you a new name. I will give you a new name. There's so many of us, even followers of Christ, who need to come to this place of surrender. And I want to encourage you tonight. And TJ, you can come and begin to play. I want to encourage you tonight, wherever you are. See, so many times we look and we say, okay, yeah, this is for the unbeliever. But no, what are you running from? You see, if you find that you can't have peace in your life, You know, it's really interesting, as I talked earlier about the enemy is lulling so many of us to sleep. One of the ways he's doing it, now technology is not bad, but you ever find yourself just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling? The younger generation knows what I'm talking about. You're so hurt. You're so lost. You don't know what to do. You just just keep scrolling. How many feeds can I check out on Instagram? How many, how many things can I read? And you're hoping that there's some encouragement in that. You're hoping that there's some life change in that. But you have to come to the end of that to realize, guess what? That'll never cover. That'll never satisfy what you really need. You need to come to that place. We need to come to that place where we're willing to deal with our issues. Guess what? We all have them. We all have them. Doesn't matter how long you've been serving, with, serving the Lord. We all have them. And we need to come to that place where we're willing to deal with the issues so that the attitude can change and therefore the behavior will be corrected. And instead of hurting people along our path, instead of continuing to run from God, we will make others whole. We will heal others and we will run to God to receive the life and the source that we need. Let me pray for us tonight. Father, I thank you for each and every individual in this room. And I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We come to you tonight and we just humble ourselves. And we want to meet with you tonight. And we want to be willing to wrestle it out with you tonight. 
And that may go beyond tonight. It may go till later on in the midnight. It may go till tomorrow. It may go for weeks. But as we wrestle it out, Father, you know where every individual is in this house tonight. You know what every individual is wrestling and struggling with. You know the inadequate love that many have experienced and how much they need your touch and they need your love and they need to feel and experience the true love of the Father. So Father, I thank you tonight for meeting every individual, individual right where he or she is by your Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.